Welcome to Insights into Success, where with your host Paul Dodds, we hope to educate, inspire and motivate you to achieve your own personal success. We talk to guests from all around the world from a variety of walks of life to hear the realities of their own journey to success. What challenges have they faced, how they cope with failure and what have been the keys or will be the keys to their own success. In our Read to Succeed interviews, we talk books that have inspired our guests, and for some, they share their secrets to marketing success. Join us as we give you insights into success. All right, well, welcome, Mikey, to um, Insights into Success. Really pleased to have you here today. Really interested to hear your story. Now, I don't want to spoil it by telling everyone what exactly that you do. I want that to come out later on, because I think people might be a little bit surprised. And yeah, I'd like to invite you to kick it off by taking us way back and telling us your backstory. Tell us about where you grew up and look, give us a little bit of insight into your growing up, what that was like. So maybe we can understand a little bit about if that has influenced you at all in terms of what you're now doing. So take it away. Paul, you got it. You know, it's, it's interesting. My background has nothing to do with what I've done today and where I've kind of reached success today. So it is, it's an interesting story. So other people that are listening that are coming up one way and, and, you know, it could be a complete 180 in their life, but uh, sometimes that just happens because it's life. Um, I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, um, and I lived there till I was 21. Um, you know, my, the area I grew up in was a really uh, nice area. It's, it's super nice. Now I, I've moved away from there. It's been over 20 years. Um, but I grew up living with my sister, my mother, and my grandmother. I didn't really have a father figure for most of my life. He was kind of out of the picture early. Um, we didn't really have any entrepreneurs in my family other than pretty much myself starting at a very young age, doing the, the lemonade stand, you know, raking leaves in the fall, shoveling snow in the winter, mowing, mowing lawns in the summer. Uh, and that going into, you know, different odd jobs to getting my first job, which I actually back in the I guess it was the late 80s was building computers, which was really random because there were barely wow. computers back then. Uh, but that segued into uh, working for a sports collectible store because I was big into sports collectibles, the baseball cards, football cards, comics, you know, doing all that. So it I, I learned some from working for the two guys that own the sports collectible stores. Uh, but I, I would say most of my journey in working for others, I've learned how not to run a business. I think more <laughs> than how to run a business because, you know, I've always been that kind of person of like, you know, hey, if this was my business and wherever I worked, always treated it like my business, how would I do it different? Um, so I definitely didn't have, um, you know, a huge financial backing by any means growing up. Uh, I think I was 14 and my mom said, hey, you need to basically start paying for, you know, I can give you $50 towards shoes, but I know you want those Nikes that are 100. So you're going to have to pay yeah. the difference. Uh, and I think that did help me because I do appreciate kind of the growth uh, over the the decades uh, and being able to now afford nicer things and uh, just a, a greater appreciation than when, you know, maybe something that was just given to me growing up. So it's 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 been a journey. But in, growing up broke-ish, um, we weren't like 
you couldn't eat food and stuff like that. Like yeah. by no means, there was definitely way more people worse off than us. But growing up yeah. in an area where people turned, you know, 16 and they show up in their new BMW at high school was yeah. kind of crazy. You know, I, I worked like crazy for $5 an hour or whatever it was back then. I bought my first 1979 Camaro with dents and had to put oil in it every day and, yeah. <laughs> you know, just to make it to school. Um, so yeah, it was a little different, but it was interesting to see where other people were in life. So Mikey, do you think looking back, the fact that you had to work to get what you did, do you think that that was a disadvantage or, or in fact, it may be an advantage? I think it can go both ways. Um, you know, I, I didn't even go to college really. So I took a couple classes and dropped out. I think if I had more financial backing, going to college would have been, something a little bit easier because I was working full time in high school. So I basically would get off school a lot of times and I'd go work uh, till, you know, kind of late at night sometimes. Yeah. The, uh, the one thing about me I can say is I can just, I'm a workhorse. I, that's how I grew up. So I, I have yeah. no problem working. So if I lost everything today, uh, I know what it takes to get it all back. Uh, I've done it a couple times because I've lost everything a few times through business. Um, right. I, I think it's, I think it's helped me in that way of being very resilient because through my failures of entrepreneurship, I think if things were more just kind of handed to me, um, I don't think I would have been as resilient, got back up, say, okay, let's try this again. Okay. <laughs> Fail. Yeah. Let's try this again. So I think for that part, it's been kind of helpful. Yeah. And in terms of you, when you started out with the lemonade stands, from what you're telling me, it was really sounds to be more than anything else a necessity is kind of like you didn't have a lot of money. So if you wanted to get some money to, to maybe get some of those things that you wanted, then you really needed to do something. So it really pushed you into trying some different sort of entrepreneurial projects. Yeah. I mean, we'd go to the beach in the summer and my mom said, Hey, we're going to the beach. And if you want to do stuff at the beach other than play in the sand, which is free or hop in the water, if you want to go play putt putt or go get ice cream and all that, you're probably going to find a way to make some money. So I would always find yeah. that way. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I appreciate it now. It's, it's fun. Yeah. And I mean, cause one of the things that strikes me is that potentially as much as it could be a benefit to be born into a wealthy family, it could actually be a negative as well. I mean, sure, if you're born into a wealthy family, there's potentially the capital to maybe use in a particular sort of project that you want. But by the same token, there's also the potential for you to take it all for granted, not to value it, not to appreciate it, and always feel like you've got a bit of a backstop. You've always got you know, mum and dad with the money to lean on if, if it all turns to custard. Whereas if you come from nothing, you've got no one else to lean on. It's all on you. And if, if you fail, then no one's going to pick up the pieces other than you. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, and, and we can talk about money, but at the end of the day, like is money happiness, right? So I'm sure I know a yeah. lot of successful people that are really rich that are just just so unhappy. I'm sure you know the same and your listeners have yeah. know these same type of people. So money is not always the key to happiness, which is in health, which is, you know, is more important than anything at the end of the day. Um, I think when you kind of start from nothing and start your business from nothing, it's, it's definitely much more, I think you have a greater sense of appreciation for it relative yeah. to if you just have unlimited funding. I mean, I've never raised money uh, for any of our businesses over the years. 
And, um, you know, so I don't even still to this day know what I'd do if I just had someone's like, oh, here's all this money to go do something. Like, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful as well. Like it could be nah. an hindrance on some. So it's, you know, obviously you have people like the Kardashians that just it seems like they're printing money at this point um, because of what they built over decades of being on the media and whatnot. But most people don't have that advantage. And, you know, I know plenty of people that didn't really have much uh, and have created some really uh, amazing success stories. And so when you were a teenager, did you have any thoughts about what your you wanted your career to be? Or were you just very much hand to mouth thinking in terms of I need a job to, to, to make my way at the moment? Can you recall back what your thoughts were back then? I was kind of lost as far as what I wanted to do when I get old, when I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm going to get older. You know, I like I went to a school that was a very uh, successful, like families went to this school. So a lot of people like they kind of had it all piped out where it's like, oh, I'm going to go to this college. I'm going to go to do this and, you know, get in the family business or something else. And I didn't really have any of that. I did know from a young age that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but it took me it took me a while to really figure out what my first business was going to be after kind of saying, okay, let's, let's start honing in on, on what this is going to be. Um, so a lot of times I meet people that say, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm so old and, you know, I haven't started my business yet. And I'm like, well, how old are you? And they're like, oh, I'm 25. I was like, 25. <laughs> I said, most people don't, you know, don't start anything till their thirties or they've done enough stuff and got experience to be successful. So I was like, don't pump yeah. the brakes. Everyone's journey is going to be different. Um, and yeah. it's just understanding that and then just embracing it. And so, Mikey, when you were working, you touched on before about having lots of examples what not to do. When you were working for other people, were you consciously thinking about the business and how it was run and analysing it? Or was it just something that kind of just unfolded and then retrospectively you thought, oh, okay, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. Can you give us a little bit of insight on that? Sure. I, I think I was somebody that wherever I worked, I always treated that business that I worked at like I was the owner, like I, right. whether I was the guy that was cleaning the bathrooms or something else, I always treated it like I was the owner. And I think that's helped me uh, with a lot of stuff that I've done in life. And I've always been very analytical of trying to kind of break down, okay, this costs this, but they're selling it for this. But then, hey, what are these other costs? Oh, well, I'm getting paid. So you got to take that out of the equation because some things look all amazing with, you know, hey, this is some expensive thing and you're making all this money on it one time. But, you know, what are the expenses in the business, this, that, the other? So I was, I was pretty analytical about what was going on within the companies I was working for. Um, yeah. And I try to use that to my to the best of my ability within my businesses but it took a few failures before i really got good at uh having a much higher level of understanding how everything in the big picture kind of works together yeah so talk talk to us about failures i want to hear about those and what your view is on those so what what sort of failures have you had can you give us a, oh, a bit of a failures insight? are always so fun yes <laughs> indeed i love it um, so my first business, uh, it was called Curry Simple. It was the first packaged Thai curry sauce ever to be sold in the U.S. And um, it was a pretty revolutionary product. I was probably a little early on it. Uh, I think if I started it maybe five years later, uh, it probably would have been much more successful or had a longer kind of better longevity with it. 
uh, because yeah. I was selling food on the internet in 2006. Not many wow. people were selling food on the internet in 2006. I was making cooking videos and putting it on YouTube in 2006. Most people so, didn't even know what YouTube was in 2006. So, Mikey, I have to interrupt you there. So, I have to know. So, you're okay, you're making cooking videos. Yeah. And putting them on, on the internet. But were you really a cook? Was that kind of your thing or it was just purely opportunistic? You felt there's a business opportunity. Tell me, what are your cooking skills like? How did this come about? I definitely wasn't a cook. That's why I made the <laughs> sauce. That was the whole point because, it, you know, my slogan was we make Thai food easy. So basically the hard part with most of Thai food is creating these sauces. The issue was most people in Asia that were making the sauces were not making restaurant quality sauces, which is all that American people know. Um, you yeah. know, there's a lot of foods in America that there's a cheap version and then a really tasty version you finally find, you know, usually find in a restaurant. So American people would generally only eat at Thai restaurants. So when they would try to cook food, Thai food at home with these cheap ingredients, it would never come out like a Thai restaurant. Well, I said, right. well, this doesn't make sense. And I knew this because I was working at a Thai restaurant at the time, um, yeah. not as a cook, but as a bartender. So I said, well, why don't we just make something that's super high quality that tastes just like a restaurant, even though it's going to be a little bit more expensive. And generally with that, within a uh, coconut curry sauce, your main ingredient is going to be coconut milk and not water, because if it's water, it's just going to be tasting watered down and not really just like a restaurant. So, yeah, yeah that was people when they saw me and thought that I could I was like this great cook, even though I was on like TV cooking now. I'm on Fox and CBS and all these TV stations. And here's wow. next Mikey Moran cooking Thai curry. And it was like, I don't even, you know, I knew all I had to do That's was heat up some, cook some uh, meat and vegetables, pour in the sauce, and then people would taste it and be like, there's no way this is possible. And I'm like, yeah, we did it. Yeah. So, so Mikey, how did you get on, how did you get on these TV shows? How, how did you manage to do that? Oh, back then I was also really broke and I had the best PR agent myself. I was relentless reaching out to people. I mean, I just was, I, I think I let go of the fear of reaching out to TV stations. I, my first press was actually, I was on the front of the food section of uh, the Washington Post, which is one of the largest, wow. you know, especially back in 2006, one of the largest newspapers in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So I was on the front of the food section of that. That got me into the local news here in Atlanta. So I was in the Atlanta Journal Constitution, Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, just it just the TV spots. Uh, I was on Donnie Deutsch, The Big Idea, like I was a quick segment on there, which was pretty cool. That's kind of like the pre Shark Tank kind of show that was on CNBC. Um, right. and, and it was just, it was kind of like a, a, a snowball effect where I was in the Washington post. So I'd reach out to AJC and I'd say, Hey, I was just in the Washington post with my revolutionary new sauce. Let me send you some that, but yeah. actually some of it wasn't always that easy. So like to give you a quick example, the AJC, I sent them, I, I've reached out to them, sent them some sauce, didn't hear anything back. I sent them more sauce. A month later, I sent them more sauce because I'm like, <laughs> I'm in Atlanta. This is a big deal, like and a big idea. People love it here. They need to write about it. And basically, finally, one of the writers reached out to me and he's like, Mikey, we have enough sauce. He's like, yeah. why, why do you keep sending me sauce? And I said, well, look, this is what it comes down to. You guys can either do an article on me or I'm just going to keep sending you guys sauce every month until you do. And they're yeah. like we give up. We're going to write a big article on you. And they, yeah. and they did. 
And it was like the front of the food section of the AJC, this big, huge article, which, you know, got me into another paper, into another paper. It was it was crazy. Like the, the press. And that helped me a lot because I really spent all my money to get this going. And then I had no money. So yeah. it's not like today where you have Facebook and Instagram ads and all these easy ways to honestly get your brand and business out there. It was yeah. it was hitting the pavement a little bit more back then. So, yeah. you know, do, getting into the press was how I got a lot of my sales. You did what you did well to get into the Washington Post like that. Did you have to sort of hound them a few times to, for that to happen, or you just struck it lucky? You know, time. I, like we said earlier before starting uh, hitting record button. You know, t- timing is a lot in life. So I yes. actually reached out to the Washington Post because I was like, "Hey, I got this new product. I'm from the D.C. area. Let me reach out to the Washington Post. I grew up reading it, so it's like an iconic paper for me." And yeah. um, I hit it right in time where a. Uh, uh, an amazing writer. Her name is Michael Weissman. She was doing an article on local food entrepreneurs. So yeah. they got this package. She reached out to me and I said, look, let me be honest with you. I, I'm from there. I live there most of my life, but now I live in Atlanta. She's like, you know yeah. what? This, this is so good. And the story is so good because mine was much more unique. My products are coming from Thailand. It's all imported. Like the whole story was just people like, how did this even happen? I was like, I don't even know sometimes. You know? <laughs> And then she's like, I definitely want you part of this article. And um, it was it was a pretty amazing experience to be part of some part of a paper. And that was the first press I ever got to be in this newspaper that I grew up reading. My family grew up reading. You know, it, it was a big deal. It's not like today people are like, oh, a newspaper. Like, what is that? You know, 15 yeah. years ago, it was it was a big yeah. deal. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. So what happened there with that business? You know, like a lot of businesses, we got hit hard in the 2008, 2009 financial crisis. I didn't know what was happening as much um, until it was a little too late, especially. Uh, the thing that really killed me with the business, even after getting in, you know, we were selling online, but we were getting in grocery stores like Whole Foods and Kroger, and I was doing all these food expos and shows and mm-hmm. having great success. But where I got squeezed, was I was when I buy a container of this product and I had a a contract manufacturer do it. So they just make food brands. They don't even have a brand themselves. They just, you know, uh, co-packing. Basically, when I first started really in the development in 2005, the U.S. dollar was worth one dollar is worth 40 Thai baht. By the end of 2009, the U.S. dollar was worth 28 Thai baht. Wow. So if you're even just decent with math, you can do the numbers on there and say, oh, my God. Now, we know the food industry is a high volume, low margin business. Yeah. So when you can completely lose your margins, it really doesn't matter how much you're selling because, you you know, I got squeezed. I got squeezed out. And and I went down with the ship. I didn't realize this thing was kind of going down and I was losing everything. Uh, so I basically went down the, with the ship trying to save this. Uh, you know, the U.S. didn't come out of the financial crisis fast enough. And I mean, I basically lost everything. Bank account negative. Credit score was completely wiped out. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just everything gone. And did you officially go bankrupt? Did you get to that point? Nope. So I, I was lucky that I had very low, at least I had low expenses. So I had purchased my house years prior um, so my house payment was very low. I had, uh, at, by this time I had already paid my car. 
um, which I ended up driving for another seven, eight years after all this. Um, so it, yeah. that saved me uh, coming out of all this. So I was lucky to have very low expenses. I think one time I was in trouble with my mortgage and I reached out to my grandmother. She saved me on that. And then, you know, I basically was like, well, geez, I haven't had a job in a while. I guess I have to go back to work. Yeah. And that's what I did. I, I knew how to do food service and restaurants and bartending. So a friend owned yeah. a very popular nightclub in Atlanta, a place where I used to party and, you know, be a baller. And then, you know, two years later, I'm behind the bar serving people that I used to party with. Um, yeah. That was a that was tough. Like, yeah, but I had a mortgage to pay. <laughs> that would have so, been very grounding. Yeah. So that's that's a very humbling experience. I can tell you that very humbling experience, but it, it saved me. And I did that for a year before getting into, you know, I was trying to start all these other businesses. Nothing really worked out, mostly web stuff. That's got me into uh, real estate. So a friend of mine had this real estate company here in Atlanta, and I basically uh, started working for him and taking uh, over a lot of responsibilities there, all while trying to start other businesses. Uh, we had music in the cloud before Apple and Google that was actually starting to get pretty popular. Uh, my business partner for that business just kind of disappeared. He was kind of like a Zuckerberg level developer. I mean, the guy's a genius, but you yeah. know, so I, we, I spent six months of my life working on this business with him. We're starting to get some traction. We got in Rolling Stone online and a bunch of all these other blogs and other kind of news sites. And then he just says, well, I don't feel like developing it anymore. I'm like, wow. I'm like, we just had a call with Birdman, who's like one of the richest people in hip hop, like interested in this. Like it's getting big. You know, I was on yeah. um, there's a popular podcast called This Week in Startups with Jason Calacanis. Huge. He's been I mean, this has been around for a long time and still going. And I was in the, they had a Shark Tank edition and I was in that. He invited me out to the launch conference. So I'm like, you know, I'm on this big conference stage with all these tech titans and all this. And people are like, wow, I can't believe they actually have this thing. But, you know, that's that's a life lesson of pick your partnerships, right? Yeah. So you can have yeah. having the right or wrong partner can make or break your whole entire business with you having no control. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, would you sort of describe yourself as a bit of an ideas guy? Are you the sort that's kind of always got ideas popping into your head or like, you know, you've you've tried a lot of different things. How have they all come about? Yeah, definitely heavy on the ideas. <laughs> uh, but what makes a great entrepreneur, which took me a while to figure out, is um, it's the focus, right? So that's the problem with most entrepreneurs. They can't focus on one thing or stick with one thing that uh, kind of to go all the way through. So definitely coming up with ideas is not a problem. It's still not a problem today. Uh, I, now I actually get invited into other projects all the time and I pretty much continuously say no all day. Um, yeah. If it's not around what we do in business today or related to that, there's no way yeah. I touch it. You can only do, there's only one Elon Musk. There's yeah. only one, you know, that has yeah. boring company and SpaceX and look, I can't, I'm not that, but if it's nah. in my, in my segment of business, which is kind of beauty and technology now, um, then it might spark some interest. Right. Right. So looking back at like that phase we just talked about, how do you see it now? What, what, when you reflect upon it, obviously there'll been a bit of pain and psychological damage, I guess, from going through that. But how do you actually see it now? 
you know, I look back at it. I, there, there was a time where it was so bad and it was just, I didn't know how to handle it because it was my first huge failure. I mean, there was a yeah. time I think I didn't sleep for three days straight because I was so stressed out. And I right. pretty much have lived this, I don't want to say a stress-free life, but, you know, I don't really, I, I'm a very positive person. So it really took me out of my element. Looking back at it now, um, one of my sayings, actually me and one of my other friends that has a pretty successful business, we started at the same time now. And when I say, uh, his name is Kendall. I say, Kendall, I said, man, I've been so broke before and I'm never going back. So <laughs> my my business partner for the current business, he's just kind of like a silent partner, which works out great because I'm very particular about how I run this company. Um, yeah. You know, he's very much like, hey, let's just go and do all this crazy stuff and finance everything, blah, blah, blah. And I can tell that at this point, I'm much more conservative because I am I'm much more conservative in a way. I don't want to lose everything again and yeah. have to start over, you know, yeah. just because we're in a good place now. And I do want to continue to grow quickly. And we, you know, last year, even during COVID, we grew about 40%. This wow, year, we grew good. about 40%. And once you know you're in the eight-figure range, growing at 40% without a lot of funding just to fluff up your numbers is pretty challenging. Um, so you have to be strategic in that. But looking back at the failures and stuff, I it, it was just a part of growth. I mean, there's no way I'd be here today if I didn't mess up so many things in the past. That's that's really how yeah. I learned how to do all the stuff I do today. Yeah. So, so would you agree then you learn more than when you, when you have challenges, when you fail, as opposed to if everything's going well, like what, what does it mean to you if everything's going really well? It's scary. <laughs> <laughs> I think both sides can be scary. You definitely learn a lot through failure, but you can only fail for so long, right? Yeah. At some point, point. something's got to click where you got to start winning, Right. And I mm -hmm. feel like the last the last probably four or five years, we've been consistently winning. We definitely have had some projects within our infrastructure that we've built. Uh, that is a complete loss. Uh, like I have one technology product. I mean, we lost at least a quarter million dollars on this project and it's not around today. So there's yes. definitely those types of things. Um, but you continue to learn from those as well. I think the key is once you get to a certain space, uh, or a level in your business where, and you're comfortable in life because you've got to have that balance where life is also starts. I mean, you can only work morning, day and night for so long, to be honest. I did it for yeah. many years straight, many years straight. Um, but at some point you're just like, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Cause you're also getting older. Uh, yeah. so it, it becomes, there's, there's challenges that just come from all over the place that you don't really think about. So it's just, it's interesting. It's, it's, but that's, that's the journey of entrepreneurship in life and business. That's it for part one. In part two, we find out what exactly is Mikey's business, what mistakes he's made along the way, what lessons he's learned, and a whole lot more.